Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. We're now into the second month of the war in Ukraine. The war, the weapons, and the response from the world seems to change with the tide of the conflict. I'm Jessica Sacconi, the Director of Communications at SLU Law. In this episode, we are joined by Professor Alfonso Seichus-Nunes. Father Alfonso is a Jesuit priest who joined the law school faculty this fall. He is originally from Portugal and is an expert in international criminal law and has spent much of the past few years researching and writing on the legality of autonomous weapons. Thank you for joining us today, Father Alfonso. Thank you for having me. Okay, we're gonna dive right in because I feel like we have a lot to cover. So with the Russian invasion of Ukraine now lasting over a month, as we said, what do you think of the evolving global response as the time goes on? Um, I think the, the, the answer that the international community is giving to this conflict has evolved throughout the time. So at the beginning, I think it was, nobody was expecting an invasion of this scale. So basically, at the beginning, we saw just a, a rejection of the invasion of Ukraine from an international law uh, point of view. So they are violating fundamental rules and so on. Then uh, when the, the situation got worse and we saw bombardments all around Ukraine and a kind of siege around Kiev, uh, so the international community started going into very heavy sanctions. Um, economic sanctions. And I think uh, the United States, because it's a country that in somehow is more independent uh, from the economy of, of Russia, mm-hmm. is has more freedom to, to, to have your sanctions uh, in Russia regarding Europe, namely uh, Germany, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we are a kind of, uh, I've, uh, I've I feel that we're kind of a dead end because, uh, well, the level of uh, attacks from Russian violations of all the laws of international law, laws of war, criminal law, mm-hmm. are so uh, so huge that at this moment I think there is a reaction among the lay people that what are we doing assisting on television to this massacre of Ukrainian people and it seems that we don't do anything else. Um, But it's true that the non-flight zone uh, asked by President Zelensky would Mm -hmm. be a very dangerous measure to take. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? On the non-fly zone, yeah. so, mm-hmm. so uh, normally people, I, I notice from my students and also, uh, you know, uh, from interviews and so on, mm-hmm. that people think that the non-fly zone is a preventive mechanism. Right. So the, the, the planes of NATO members would surveil the, the skies of Ukraine, preventing any attack from Russian troops. In part, is true, uh, but in, on the other hand, is not true because it's an offensive and hostile act. Mm-hmm. So it's a declaration of war. And actually, a non-fly zone also allows, for instance, imagine that it's um, a U.S. aircraft. Mm-hmm. It would be allowed to target uh, military facilities of Russia on the ground. So it's not just 
an aerial defense system is mm -hmm. actually it can attack military targets of Russia. And so any confrontation uh, between Russia and a member of NATO, we would have an international war. Mm -hmm. uh, and above all, since President Putin uh, has threatened the world with a nuclear war, mm -hmm. that would be a very dr dramatic measure to take. Right. And I think when President Zelensky asked for a non-fly zone, I'm not so sure if he is aware of the consequences of a nuclear war, above all to his own country. Mm -hmm. uh, because Ukraine and probably Germany would be the first targets in Europe uh, of a nuclear weapon, not only because of the geographic proximity right. of Russia, but because Ukraine has been a target and Germany because lots of the nuclear facilities of NATO are stationed in Germany. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a bit more riskier than than just the demand, I think. It know? is. It is very much so. Yes. To, to someone like me, I'm like, oh, yeah, just go ahead and order that one up. That'll be fine. But, um, you know, just a, a quick lesson from you um, helps us understand the real consequences. Yes. <laughs> yes. And actually, I think when even when we saw these manifestations on the streets and peace mm -hmm. to Ukraine, which are very legitimate and good, but when people start in some kind of overreacting about a non-fly zone, when you ask if they are um, able to, to suffer the consequences of a nuclear weapon, the speech right. changes immediately. And right. I think people are not aware of uh, the reality of mm -hmm. the threat of a nuclear war. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, we hear, we on the other, not on the other hand, but we also hear a lot about... Um, the civilian targets, the, the, and I think um, our secretary of state, I think it was him who suggested, or no, doesn't matter, who suggested that there were actual, the United States came out and said that there were war crimes committed by President Putin and the Russian forces. Yes. But, you know, that's all, it's obviously that's important to recognize, but what does that mean as far as like consequences that anyone will suffer? And how do you to actually prosecute war crimes? Yeah, that is a very good and tricky question. <laughs> right, uh, right. I think that every single scholar is trying to address at this moment. So uh, the, um, it's tr so it's not that every single thing that Russia is doing in Ukraine constitutes a war crime. So a war crime means that the laws of war have been violated. And it's true that uh, from what we know and reliable information, it's true that Russia is attacking what we call in laws of war indiscriminate attacks. So mm -hmm. attacking civilian objects without any purpose, uh, attacking, for instance, uh, monuments such as the theater in mm -hmm. Mariupol that was mm -hmm. also working and operating as a civilian shelter. So mm -hmm. these things to put it in a very basic language, there is no excuse uh, to take those kind of actions. So right. that, according to the laws of war, constitute war crimes. Now, the second part of your question that is very difficult to address. So at the end, what is the relevance of classifying these, mm -hmm. uh, these actions as war crimes? So we have a problem with Russia. 
the fact that Russia is not a state party of the International Criminal Court statute, so the Rome Statute. And so for that reason, uh, uh, Russia and Russia government and also the head of state of Russia and military commanders from Russia are not, cannot be prosecuted under mm -hmm. the International Criminal Court. So we can say that all the work that is, has been done since the 28th of February, if I'm not mistaken, by the prosecutor of the ICC to initiate an investigation to, to see or if to recognize if there were war crimes or not, it has, because of Russia not being, an, um, uh, not being a member of the ICC, a kind of moral uh, standard. Mm -hmm. However, we have to acknowledge that there is an initiative, uh, a it started to be a British initiative by the former Prime Minister uh, Gordon Brown and then by Professor Dapua Kandi from Oxford and uh, Professor Philip Sands from University College London that they, mm -hmm took this initiative of, 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 um, of creating a, a special tribunal for Ukraine regarding the crime of aggression committed by Russia against Ukraine. No. So in somehow, if this goes ahead, because it needs the support from the states, uh, if this goes ahead, it is a way of escaping the problems that the ICC has because Russia would not be a state party, mm -hmm. but this court will find also very uh, huge problems. The first one is the fact that for a special tribunal to be created, normally uh, needs a resolution of the Security Council, and we know that Russia will veto that uh, mm -hmm. resolution. Mm -hmm. Secondly, these courts are very, very expensive. It's millions that you spend uh, per month if you take into account the level of evidence and the level of experts that need to be yeah. involved. And you need to pay lawyers, you need to pay the teams on the ground. Mm -hmm. and, and thirdly, there's also another problem, is the access to evidence, because Russia will not collaborate with these investigations right. for sure. Right. So you won't have to uh, access to the evidence, who gave the orders, what exactly were the orders, if the orders were were one and the operators done something different on the ground. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's, um, it's doomed. But <laughs> at the same time, I think that the worst condemnation that will happen is the isolation of Russia. Mm -hmm. Because if we think about the Russian ministers, Mr. Putin, and uh, they won't be able to travel anywhere because right. they will have these international warrants. So mm -hmm. Russia, if the situation does not change as President uh, Biden in somehow insinuated in a very strong comment that mm -hmm. there must be a regime change. Of course, right. this is a very bold statement coming right. from a president, mm -hmm. but it's actually, it's true. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, if you think about it, there is no other solution than a change of government in mm -hmm. Russia. If that will happen, remains to be seen. But, but Russia will be in a very difficult position because mm -hmm. of these all these accusations. Right. But he did try to walk that back, though, I, I, I noticed. But what's well, said is said. <laughs> um, I know. And, and I mean, I think I've heard that sentiment before. Well, it's just, I mean, 
Putin wasn't there, right? But do you think that that, I've also read some articles about, you know, that that kind of change is going to have to come from within the the Russian people, the Russian government themselves. Do you think, you know, some some people have talked about military coups, I've read. Do you think anything like that's going to happen, come from this or, you know, speculation, obviously? I think it's, um, yeah, you ask very good and difficult questions <laughs> because I think, you know, I was talking with some students and imagine the situations. So uh, President Putin uh, had the power to control all social media in Russia. So you right. got access to Facebook, WhatsApp and all these mechanisms. Mm-hmm. If you think a situation involving the US, if in theory, if, if you try to imagine a president of the US giving this order, it would be impossible to imply, to apply this law because the access of the social media is almost beyond the control of the right. state. If, if the, the American public would not collaborate, the order would be an empty one. Mm-hmm. So this reveals the power that Russia has over social media, over information and what yeah. is going on. Mm-hmm. So to have this idea that there, w- there will be a change, you know, mm-hmm. he controls everything and everyone. Right, right. And for instance, regarding this latest news of uh, possibility of poison uh, regarding this oligarch and, uh, and members of a committee trying to have these peace dialogues, it's it's I think it's very strange that mm-hmm. Russia attempt to poison that um, that committee. So it's a I think the the only solution is of course a, 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 an internal decision of mm-hmm. the country to override Putin. Mm-hmm. If they will be able to do it, you know, if the army stays protect and protecting uh, President Putin, I think there is very little changes of mm-hmm. an internal change, mm-hmm. but this is mm-hmm. what I think. It, right. It, it will happen, remains. Uh, yeah, it's, a a, it's quite a quite a conundrum, really. Um, mm. He's really I, insulated himself, it seems. Um, mm. So much. kind of going back to some of the planned questions I have, Can you talk a little bit about the laws, you know, if we're going to talk more about um, international criminal law, which we came here to talk about, what are the laws of armed conflict, especially regarding this Ukraine and Russia, or the Russia invasion of Ukraine? Yeah, so I think one of the challenges of this conflict, uh, and, uh, and sometimes for people, so I was giving an interview and people were getting very confused because Basically, we have three different branches of law operating at this time. Mm -hmm. So the first one is the rules regarding the use of force among states. Then we have the second branch that once a conflict begins, the laws of war will be applicable and Mm -hmm. they have nothing to do uh, to the rules of the use of force. And then we have the rules of international criminal law that regards the prohibition, uh, it regards the violations of the norms of war. Mm -hmm. So I will try to explain more or less where we are. 
<laughs> so regarding the laws of use of force, so we have this famous article 2.4 of the United Nations Charter that forbids states to use force except when they are victims of an armed attack that they are entitled to you to the to a right of self-defense. Mm-hmm. So basically we have Russia violating this norm of the the prohibition of use of force. It commit, Russia commits an act of aggression. And aggression, when we hear this word, some, some people think that is equal to war or to armed right. conflict, and it's mm-hmm. not. Aggression is the worst kind of violation of the prohibition of use of force. So mm-hmm. it's not a mere attack, it's not an armed attack, it's an aggression. Okay. And so uh, Ukraine is entitled to its right of self-defense, that is uh-huh. to use military force against Russia and to invite other states, what we call the collective self-defense, to invite other states to help Ukraine fighting against Russia. Then, uh, once the conflict begins, we apply the laws of war. So in the laws of war, we won't look who is innocent or guilty. We look to, since an armed conflict began, what are the laws that the states need to obey? Mm-hmm. And here there is the famous principle of distinction that um, enshrines the, the following rule. States can only attack military objectives and combatants. So okay. civilians and civilian objects and protected categories such as hospitals and churches and monuments cannot be targeted. Mm-hmm. Using these are the rules, then you have lots of exceptions. For instance, uh, when uh, Russia um, targeted a hospital, um, it is at the first sight a war crime, so it attacks a protected object such as a hospital. Right. But then Russia invoked that this hospital was harboring weaponry from Ukraine and also military forces from Ukraine. Right. So. Uh, if that is true, so that depends on evidence, mm-hmm. it's true that he's, he obeys to a judgment of proportionality to see if that o- civilian object became a military object. And if, mm-hmm. it, if it did, so it's legitimate to be targeted. So it, then, for instance, there is these problems with these civilians in Russia, in Ukraine, Um that the government called them to join the armed forces. And then, for instance, they taught civilians how to make Molotov cocktails to attack military forces. Mm -hmm. So these civilians, the civilians that joined the armed forces, they are no longer civilians, they become combatants. So when Ukraine is saying that there are lots of attacks from, uh, from Russia, uh, against civilians, we need to see what Ukraine understands by civilians, because mm-hmm. uh, uh, those volunteers that joined the armed forces, they are no longer civilians, right. according to the laws of war. And then those civilians that just prepare Molotov cocktails and they throw at military troops, for the moment they do that, they lose also their status as civilians. So it's what we call a civilian participating directly in the hostilities and they can be targeted. So a civilian by definition is a person that does not participate in any way 
mm-hmm. in the hostilities. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but we see that, well, we are watching that Russia is uh, violating all the norms regarding civilian objects and civilian mm-hmm. And then we have then the norms of international criminal law that try to criminalize the crime of aggression mm-hmm. and also the war crimes that were being that are being committed by the forces. Mm-hmm. So, but then it's the let's just make sure I'm on track. It's the ICC that would kind of regulate or kind of the watchdog over if any of these, if these rules of law were followed? Is that how that Yes, works? Okay. so the prosecutor can initiate uh, investigation or the state parties of the ICC can refer the situation mm-hmm. to the ICC, which 39 countries did. So mm-hmm. the, the prosecutor is more or less obliged to open an right. investigation. Okay. If it will be fruitful, it's a big question mark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's more or less how the process goes. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> um, so do you think there are parallels between um, actually the Israeli-Palestine conflict and the Russia-Ukraine conflict? Well, uh, yeah, and I think that the, they are. Uh, mm-hmm. And there is also a big parallel with what happened in uh, Syria. Oh, right. Uh, In in many regards. So um, one thing is that um, regarding the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, uh, we have this, uh, it's not that Israel does not recognize, in theory, the right of Palestine to be a state, but on a daily uh, daily basis, uh, uh, reality, they deny that right to Palestine by the way they occupy uh, the the West Bank and so on. Mm-hmm. So in that, in this sense, we can say that Russia goes a little bit beyond the conflict in uh, in Palestine because it seems that President Putin does not recognize the sovereignty of Ukraine. Right. Uh, and I was reading a paper that Mr. Putin uh, wrote in 2021, uh, explaining his perspective over Ukraine. And for instance, uh, Ukrainian language for Mr. Putin is simply a Russian dialect. So he Mm -hmm. attacks the existence of Ukraine in every single front. And I Mm -hmm. think that Israel, um, after the decision of the the ICJ, so the International Court of Justice, Mm -hmm. that Palestine has the right to self-determination Israel plays a more soft um, kind of strategy. Right. Regarding Syria, what we have here is the problem of indiscriminate attack against civilians, Mm -hmm. uh, which Russia helped Syria, uh, the government of um, Assad, to do that, Mm -hmm. and the possibility of using chemical weapons, which is now a big enigma if... President Putin will use chemical weapons or not. Right. But today he, he, he made a statement that he is withdrawing from Kiev. So let's hope that is true. Right. Um, but after the level of destruction that he has already caused, um, mm-hmm. uh, well, let's see what we have of Kiev. Right. And I heard something about um, this morning about Crimea and how he was basically considering that like in his like 
wind pile, but that was not, is that right? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a president Putin. Um, it's very strange. It's very difficult to understand the mind of uh, President Putin. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I was listening to some uh, professors of military history. And I think that uh, the best argument that has convinced me until now it was presented for some uh, by some professors of Yale saying that uh, Mr. Putin is acting as uh, Hitler acted at the end of the war or mm -hmm. Napoleon acted. So they get so puzzled with the fact that the operations on the ground didn't go as they thought they would. So Mr. Putin probably thought that this would be a 48 hours war and that Ukraine right. would bow to mm -hmm. Russia and so mm -hmm. on. And then at this moment, when uh, at least we know that 7,000 uh, Russian uh, soldiers have died on the battlefield. So how Mr. Putin will justify all these corps returning to, to, to Russia, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's going to be a big issue among the Russian population. Are mm -hmm. we going to justify this? And, uh, and the, the problem I think at this moment is so desperate as Hitler was and Napoleon was that he's trying to say, well, listen, let's stop this war, but the Donbass region and Ukraine become, mm -hmm. uh, and Crimea, I'm sorry, become uh, Russian territory. Mm -hmm. But this would mean that Ukraine would lose part of its sovereignty, which I think President Zelensky is not um, keen to, to, to right. acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. But he accepted a compromise, as he said yes last night, to accept a neutrality status to uh, Ukraine. So Ukraine mm -hmm. wouldn't join NATO and it would become a neutral country such as Switzerland, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems that uh, Mr. Putin is not also happy with that part of the bargain. So let's see how it goes. Back to the drawing table. Yes. Um, so kind of in closing a bit, how do you think, and we've seen all these changes in international um, criminal law in the past, mm -hmm. in this century. How do you think, what, what, do you, what are some of the developments or changes that you think will happen? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but um, mm. what, are, what are something you see on the horizon, especially coming out of this, this kind of conflict? I think, uh, and it's very difficult when I say this because I'm not taking a political stand in favor of President Biden or not, mm -hmm. but I think the independence of the U.S. regarding the Russian economy and the Russian policy and so on allows the Mr. Biden to be very categoric about the future of Russia. Mm -hmm. And so I think that having a, a country such as the U.S. and the importance that the U.S. has in the international arena, I think from the statements of President Biden, he won't allow Russia to go over it. So it, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, to go on with it. So um, I think we will watch a reinforcement of international law as we haven't seen in the past years. Mm -hmm. uh, because main uh, countries such the US, uh, France, Germany is in a very delicate position, the UK, right. uh, the UK, Italy, and so on, 
they they are very keen to attack the Russian economy as well. So what we can see or in somehow hope is Mm -hmm. that the international law will increase its strength. However, people should not get demotivated or disappointed with international criminal law Mm -hmm. because, you know, we have in the US also criminal law. Mm-hmm. But the fact that criminal law exists doesn't mean that crime will decrease. Right. You know, it, so it, it, crimes happen. And, mm-hmm. and Mr. Putin is a war criminal. If mm-hmm. uh, the criminal law will be able to prosecute uh, President Putin and all his entourage remains to be seen is a big question. Mm-hmm. But I think at the moment, how the international community and Let's not forget that uh, Russian was expelled from the Human Rights Council, that the European Union is trying to expel Russian from every single agreement. Mm -hmm. So the future seems quite uh, black to Russia, I I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well... I have so many more questions, but for time's sake, I'm going to stop myself. Like every time you talk, I'm like, ooh, I want to follow up. So I think we'll probably need to have like another 30 minute follow up. (laughs) Well, we can do a a section two if you want. Okay, I'm I'm in for it. Um, Thank you so much. Because you had questions about Iran and so on. So yeah, absolutely. If you are interested, we can agree another another time. I'm sorry. Absolutely. I know when I get nervous, I make so many mistakes when I'm talking. And so I'm sorry for that. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, you speak more languages than I do, which I just speak one. So I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you're very kind. Uh, well, thank you for much, so much for doing this today. No, really no, my pleasure. It. And all if right. you need anything else, let me know. Okay. okay. Thank, you. thank you. Bye. Have a Bye. nice day. Thank you, you too. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations, produced by St. Louis University School of Law.